0: If wearing your heart on your sleeve is understood as an act of intimate self-expression, then fashion and style may be the vehicle that signals the very heart of your story. Season 12 of Style Stories aims to honour stories with heart by featuring creatives with a strong sense of style who come with care, compassion and connection, and candidly share their stories with an open heart. In this vein, I've started a fortnightly newsletter to share more of what sits at the heart of my style and my story. I'd love you to join me by subscribing at madelinpark.co forward slash newsletter, where I share the things that are inspiring me, including the guests of season 12. Today, I'm chatting with Charlotte Ree, devoted home cook and author of Heartbake, a personal memoir that not only chronicles Charlotte's stories of love through her love of food, but includes recipes to feed the heart and soul. Whether it's on paper or in person, it's Charlotte's style to be open-mannered and lay her whole story out on the table. And of her lessons in love, she's been taught not only to feed herself first, but to dress to please herself first too. Like her story, Charlotte's style evolves naturally, is organically told, and is open to heartache, even if still hungry, for a little love and romance. I hope you can sit back, relax, and enjoy listening to Charlotte's story. Okay. Um, hi, Charlotte. We've finally made it. I, I know. This is round, what is it, round four, oh, round five. I a fuck, I love yeah. it. <laughs> the uh winter illnesses have uh, prevailed and we are finally connected but i think i was saying to you i've read your book and i think like anybody that reads this book they feel like they're automatically your friend (laughs) um you have such an honest and very transparent like portrayal of who you are and I think that's what's so refreshing and what's so lovely and compelling about your book Uh, but I also love it because what you do um, with food is you use food as a mechanism to tell your story and that's what I like to do with the podcast Uh, but especially how you just lay it all out on the table. Um, and one of the dishes that you uh, start off with in terms of an early memory of food for you got me going from the beginning because it's spanakopita or spinach pie. Yeah. And through this the series of style stories, my mum's spanakopita comes up a lot. Oh. And um, And it's because she's passed away and it's her legacy dish that she's passed on to me that I cook and every time I cook it I think of her um but it's obviously a really special dish that you attach to your mum too yeah so why why is it
1: so special to you Oh, because it is like my mum in a mouthful, like it's Mm -hmm. a hug in a mouthful. Mm -hmm. And I think food is so interconnected with feeling for me and I think for all of us. And when I was at a really low point and I'd left my marriage and I was in lockdown and I couldn't go and see my mum because she lives a six-hour drive away, I knew that if I made that, she would be there. And I know that one day when she isn't around, I'll be able to make that and have her there with me, kind of like you do. Yeah,
0: yeah, 100%. I I, it's it's so hard to talk about your book without like just feeling like I know everything about (laughs) you or like just assuming that everybody that's listening's read it but I kind of don't want to give it away everything too much but you talk about um like obviously your mum had this relationship with things and there was disorder and chaos in your house but um in contrast to that like the spanakopita or the spinach pie had to get Put in a certain yes. blue dish. <laughs> yes.
1: So, do you want to kind of give? I a love th- that you're you're <laughs> mentioning that because my mum's like biggest pet peeve about the book is that we didn't shoot the recipes in the dishes, oh. and she was like, "You've got to!" Like, she kept kind of bargaining that. But she was like, "You've just got to! You've got to take the dishes, and you've got yeah. to bake the recipes in them, and the photo shoot has to happen with the with the dishes."
0: So, you're
1: quite transparent about like your mum having bipolar, yeah,
0: and that that kind of created a a kind of happy mania in your house yeah but but how does that reconcile with this like immense sense of order of like needing things in a certain place when everything else was like a clothes in the bathtub. Yeah, totally. I mean,
1: and that just is like describes me to a T is that I became so rigid then and so set in my ways to sort of have some order amongst the disorder. Mm -hmm. And because it was so disorganised and it was, you know, my mum is allergic to planning. She's allergic to any form of like what... I would say is like a very logical thing to do is like call someone if you're going to go and visit them and they're a six hour drive away but my mum wouldn't do that and so we drive for six hours and then they wouldn't be home like that to me (laughs) is just like the worst thing that you could do so I would be you know six or seven and organizing ourselves within like an inch of our lives because nobody else would do it Mm -hmm. and even now if I'm like right so what are we going to do today and mum's like don't manage me, don't organise me, like she's so (laughs) allergic to it and I'm so very set in my ways in that way.
0: So it sounds like you, well, I mean, I know that you would have,
1: but you grew up quickly. Yeah. Because
0: of yeah. the nature of Definitely. The and
1: I think too, because they, my pa, my stepdad and my mum were just so open about what was going on. So there were very adult conversations that were taking place, but I also really appreciated that because it didn't mean that I didn't know where mum was when she was in hospital. Like they were very clear that she was going into the inpatient clinic and they were very clear about, you know, why she was going there and what was going on for her. Um, but it did mean that, yeah, I was, you know a six-, seven-year-old that grew up quite quickly and that in some ways lived two different lives because I'd go to school and pretend like nothing was going on and became really good at, at kind of dividing myself into the different parts that people needed of me or that I perceived people to need of me. Like, my parents never expected me to be that organised person. They never asked that of me. But I just thought that was what I had to do to well, sort of make things work. I think as a kid,
0: when... <clears throat> I mean, we all, as children, no matter how difficult our, or uh, disadvantaged our situation is, yeah. we find ways to adapt to yeah. the situation. I mean, I'm even observed my two kids, yeah, and they're they're becoming so different from each other, and it's a way of finding visibility. You know, like yeah. to okay, if he's like that, then I'm going to be like this. You know, um, and I I think that it's. It is just, a, yeah. okay, well, which part do I fit
1: yeah. into? And like... that always fascinates me, like, even now. Um, none of my friends have kids yet, mm. but um, even just looking at people that I know that have children, that they can have the same... Um, you know, mum and the same dad, the same genetics, and yet they're so different, the children. I find that so fascinating. But you're right. I think everyone finds different roles for themselves or different ways, yeah, to sort of fit and make things work. And mine was definitely to be what I would describe as like a goody two-shoes and someone who was just really, like, you didn't have to worry about me. I was Mm -hmm. always just going to be, yeah, this is what I've got to do and and how I'm going to be. But then that meant that I was a very big people pleaser from a really early age and so um when things happen like this morning where I was running late <laughs> for our interview I get really you know anxious because I hate the idea that you know I've put someone out or I haven't people pleased and it's still I have to rally against that all the time
0: yeah and I, I think one of the joys of reading your book is that I can completely attach to those <laughs> same sense of people pleasing yeah. uh, uh tendencies yeah. sorry and um and <laughs> and so yes it it very much resonates <laughs> with me. Um, so going back to your mum, I yeah. Yeah, as I said, I'm really curious about this this idea that she had to have only food in certain places. Yeah. Did did that sense of one thing needing to be with another pertain to any other areas of her life?
1: Well, she was. And I mean, I like that too. Like I like to serve. Ice cream in a certain bowl, or with a certain, like, I think we could all have those sorts of things. Like, yeah, it's got to be out of this dish. But she um, freakishly is like, would align all of her, like, cups in by color. We have, like, all of this, like, vintage, kind of, like, retro glassware. And so that's all arranged by color. Plates are arranged by color. So she would be organized in that way, Mm. um, but not in any other way. What about her clothing? That would, well, Pa would hang that. But as a kid, like, we didn't have that. Like, Pa was definitely the domestic. Um, partner in that relationship like mum does not clean it's like she just doesn't see mess um and so yeah we'd go and get our clean clothes out of the bathtub and i remember like diving in to get them and going to a girlfriend's house um, when i was really young and all of her clothes were on hangers and i was so fascinated by that and enamored with it but now you know they they're all hung and you know that's because she's you know medicated like i think when (laughs) mum when mum goes off her lithium that's when the chaos shines
0: but would she feel like she needed to like if she was going somewhere or hosting people at the house, or yeah. was like there a certain dress that had to be for a certain. No, moment? and
1: she wouldn't host like right. that's you know because she can't cook so like it wouldn't <laughs> like that just wouldn't be that was not a thing I grew up with so yeah. the fact that I host dinners now is hilarious I yeah. think to them um, but yeah they would they wouldn't do that so there was never any part of that and mum you know would not be matched in what she's wearing like mum's clothing is quite chaotic as well and I think part of that is because part of the medication that she takes causes a lot of weight gain and that fluctuates and so I think there's been a lot of um kind of detachment from her body in that way and, and dressing in that way she just wouldn't be and even that was happening when you were kid. yeah yeah so what
0: did you read of that when you were little
1: oh that also just is like hilarious to my mum too because i am so feminine i suppose yeah and you know like my mum has hairs coming out of a mole that she'll like twist and i'll be like oh my god pluck them pluck them like she does not pluck or um, manicure or pedicure or like look after you know herself in that way because she just doesn't care yeah and um and i kind of love that because it meant that i was very body positive from a really young age but equally it makes me now be like oh my god i've got a get rid of that chin hair that's coming on
0: did you have that sense of aversion or like that's not right when you were a
1: kid yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that was totally totally, totally. Yeah. and and um, from yeah from a really young i was always so particular about certain things and i think that was me trying to control something in quite an uncontrollable environment yeah. and I think now a lot of the work I do in therapy is around control and around sitting and going you can't, you can't control everything yeah. so like let's sit in the discomfort that life's kind of imperfect and a yeah. bit of a mess and that's okay and you can't control it yeah. because I think from a young age I just clung on to that control like it was the one thing that was going to save me.
0: Did it come out in how you would want to represent yourself, at, even as a smaller person? Yeah, like
1: I was so particular about what I wore and even how at I, a young yeah, age, yeah, totally. Like totally. What? Like,
0: what's your first memory of fashion? What's your?
1: Oh life? my goodness! Like, and this is so embarrassing, even to admit. But it was like I grew up. I was born in ninety one. I was a nineties kid. But I remember getting um, toe socks that were knee high and rainbow, and yeah. thinking I was the coolest kid in the wedge. Oh, my God, amazing. amazing. But I thought I was so hot. You know what I mean? I loved Paul Frank. I had Paul Frank everything from head to toe, including, like, stockings and a hoodie. There's, like... Pictures of me on a holiday where I'm in, like, Paul Frank Can everything. you just explain
0: for some of those young people yeah. that have
1: no reference to Paul Frank oh, what, what that brand's it's, about? It's a monkey. It's, yeah. like, a beautiful-faced, like, monkey. And it was just, like, was it a skate brand? I don't know. I like, kind it of feel like, brand, yeah, it had wear. a
0: street edge to
1: it. It was, like you'd wear it with Mooks jeans, yeah. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. And I just loved it. And I remember, like, even now, if I had a Paul Frank hoodie, I would be so stoked. I should probably find one. <laughs> but I love Paul Frank. And what else did I love to wear? I'm, you know, I loved, there were certain outfits I can remember really vividly as a kid. Like I had a beautiful kind of wrap, um, beige linen skirt with like a matching kind of Sleeveless blazer, I guess, like a button up. Yeah. And I loved that outfit. Where did that come
0: from? Because it doesn't sound like something
1: your mum would have. No, that was totally my mum. So my mum. Because it was natural. Like mum would buy is so good at picking clothes for me. She's just so not into fashion for herself. Okay. Like she would, um, you know, I remember. I was in love with this boy in high school called Mitchell Kennedy. And I was going to the school social and my mum went and got me. I grew up in Lismore, so, like, clothing stores were limited, but, like, Sports Girl was the place to be or just jeans. Yeah. And um, I went and got a brand-new outfit and I loved it so much. And Mitch and I kissed at the social that night. And I just, was the outfit? It was, it was... Is that your first kiss? Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, I think, like, one of those, like... Boob tuby dresses, I guess you would describe, like sleeveless. I can't even remember what color. And I wore it with sneakers. And I just remember thinking I was so cool and yeah. so hot. And then I kissed, <laughs> I kissed Mitch. Um, but yeah, kind of like food outfits can kind of have a connotation to it too. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you talk obviously at length about you know the what we've just kind of covered the sense of chaos and how yeah. that kind of led you to start forming certain parts of your personality. Yeah. But you also talk about the pure you obviously love your mum so much so and much. you have such a you know, your books dedicated to her and it can bring you to tears in certain mm. parts of the book. But um you talk about how she, with all the chaos there was a lot of joy and yeah. a lot of creativity yeah so tell me what that afforded in you
1: oh my god like my mum um is a total career woman and I think that was so inspiring to watch and to see and so therefore because okay, that
0: you don't really touch on that
1: no and I think you know I do in some ways where I'm like you know she she was the breadwinner and pa was kind of like the stay-at-home mum but I think that definitely made me have a lot of drive mm. in my career and um I got job when I was 19 and I've been there ever since Um, and so So what was she doing mum was in education so she was spearheading um, basically it was called transition and it was basically going into indigenous communities like Korokai and um, getting people to um, their children to be able to transition from home to school and so it was amazing you know um, to sort of watch her do that and see her do that and Um, She worked with a lot of special needs children as well. And so I think seeing her sort of be really passionate and do something so amazing that was changing people's lives was really inspirational.
0: So you talk about your people pleasing as a kind of coping mechanism. Yeah. But it sounds like that sense of giving back to other people, think about other people. Yeah, yeah, mum is like
1: the most generous person you've ever met. And I think sometimes to her detriment. And I guess (laughs) I've kind of definitely (laughs) taken that on board. But I think the biggest thing for me is that, um, and a lot of therapy, but my therapist was really amazing. My therapist mum has bipolar as well, oh. and my therapist is in her 60s, you know, but has kind of lived that, what mm. I, you know, have lived and, and going to live, and she was so incredible in sort of separating my mum from her illness for me, and, and realising that you know, they're two separate things and she is this person and it's about appreciating her and enjoying her for everything that she is and not trying to manage or change or um, expect something different, mm. you know. And I guess that's really an incredibly beautiful thing is just appreciate her for exactly who she is and find the joy in that. Well, the way you've written your book, it sounds like
0: you, you do just that. Yeah. Uh, which is so nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of your creativity though, obviously it's landed a lot in the space of books and writing. Yeah. And as a kid you delved into that world a lot. Like your books were very books. sacred to yeah, you. Right? Yeah. yeah.
1: I just I just always loved reading and we didn't have much money growing up. But my mum would always let me pick a book from the Scholastic catalogue. I don't know if you or your listeners had that. But, you know, and I'd be so cheeky. Yeah. yeah. But I'd be so cheeky, I'd, like, always pick the book that had, like, a necklace that came with it. Or, you know, like, clip-on earrings. I would always do that. But um, someone with kids, let me tell you, that that whole process still exactly (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) But I would fawn over it and I would circle the books that I wanted to read. And um, it was just such, like, a beautiful thing that she did in letting me kind of have that.
0: But I wonder, you know, whether it was a form of escapism for you to... Totally,
1: totally. And I would only kind of exclusively read fiction. Mm -hmm. It's not until um, 2020 that I basically really got into non-fiction and that's when I was like, left my marriage and was trying to, you know, understand other people's Mm -hmm. lives. But reading, yeah, it was a total... That that says so much, doesn't it? Yeah.
0: Anyway, we'll get into all of that. (laughs) um, were you attracted to certain characters? Like, if you if it was a level of
1: escapism, did it matter what you were reading? Or were yeah, you, or... I was quite I was quite picky. Like, I loved Enid Blyton mm-hmm. in particular. Like, Faraway Tree was one of my favourite books. I often loved characters that were going through like interesting or difficult times Mm, like I wonder why why. (laughs) but I loved um yeah I loved Enid Blyton I loved there's a book called like Millie Molly Mandy which I also loved and books that had like Millie Molly Mandy I remember in the um end papers like when you open the book there was like a map of her town and I loved that I loved being able to see where she was and what she was doing. Yeah. Um, and as I grew older, you know, I got into Andy Griffiths and Paul Jennings and Wicked and all of those sorts of things. But I just read voraciously and I loved to read everything. And my nan, my mum's mum, was a really big reader.
0: Were you ever attracted to like those characters? Like, I guess, do you remember the book Hating Alison Ashley? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who did you want to be in that book?
1: I think I just wanted to be everyone. Like (laughs) I love, like I I genuinely mean that. I just loved it so much. And like looking for Ella Brandy. Yes. And like, um, even like I loved Max Remy, super spy, which is like Deborah Bella. Like I loved. Yeah. I don't know. I read everything. Yeah. I loved it. I guess I'm trying to
0: see whether you. whether you kind of were attracted to a form of life that was a little easier or a little simpler. Like, you you, you know, you you referenced, like, the going to your friend's house and seeing all the, like, clothes hung up and,
1: like... I think I did that more so in a doll's house that I played with. Okay. And so more so than reading, like, and I played um, embarrassingly with my doll's house until I was, like, 15 years old, and then I turned into The Sims, and so then I'd do it through that, but I lived, like, I would play, make lives that were, like, a nuclear family, which I didn't have, and, you know, the perfect kind of family, and I would do that on The Sims, too. Like, I would just build them and make them have babies and then go to work and just live that really sort of um, groundhog day, I guess, which I really was hungry for yeah and I think even now like I would love to live a really simple life you know Mm -hmm. and just be really anonymous and easy I say that but I probably would get bored but Mm -hmm. I mean like I think there is a part of me that from a young age really was drawn to that and sort of craved that that perfectionistic yeah and I and yeah and I remember feeling jealous of children that like whose houses I would go to and and those sorts of things and so when I read I didn't read Books that had that, and even now I don't read books that have that. Like, I love grit and I love depth and I love meaning, and I want more. And I remember when I was like reading a whole bunch of memoirs as I was writing mine, I was like, I want more, I want more from you. I wanted some, a lot of the time, I felt really disappointed that someone didn't give more and I guess what I've sort of realised is like I kept longing for that idea of perfectionism mm. but no one's got their shit sorted, and life is really imperfect and probably all of the parents of the children that I went to and felt envious of didn't have it together it was just this idea that I had in my head like a longing yeah and actually like I had it pretty great yeah. it was just different
0: well it was happy and it was love. yeah right?
1: yeah
0: um you also talk about your dad and, like, yeah. your disconnected relationship with him. Yeah, I'm wondering um, when, you know, when I was thinking about our interview and in terms of how you presented yourself, obviously a lot of it was about the household you lived in and, yeah. and your, you know, your relationship to your mum. But I'm curious also to know about your dad and whether you did things to make yourself more visible to him, like even the way that you dressed. Were you...?
1: I think... Um... I definitely always wanted his attention and, Mm. like, a crumb from him would be, like, a loaf of bread, you know, and that, I think, definitely um, set me up for issues with men as I got older and particularly when I was dating. Um, But, you know, my dad uh, was into drugs and he, you know, then had um, issues with alcoholism and I think that's a really hard thing to navigate um, because someone is you know, self-sabotaging in a lot of ways. He just couldn't be the dad that he wanted to be. And I think he had a lot of shame around that, unfortunately. Yeah. And the kind of beauty I was thinking before when you were saying, like, the book, you know, people know so much about you. Like, I was able to give a copy to my dad mm. who I hadn't really had in my life and say, here I am, um, get to know me. Yeah. And that's kind of an amazing thing that I've written something that even, yes, strangers, but for me more importantly, like, my dad can get to know me through something i've written that's pretty amazing how did that transpire um i think like my whole life i've just wanted to be seen and Mm. to be heard and by him probably in a lot of subconscious ways that i've not made conscious Mm. um and you know i don't expect to have a relationship with him now i don't expect that it's going to be like this rosy um hunky-dory thing but you know he read it and he came to my book launch and and we had a lunch and i made the spinach pie and it was probably the worst i've ever made it <laughs> like it tasted kind of only of the effort it took to make it and and that's that's hard i think was it a lack of effort because you felt like you like you didn't you didn't feel like you were prepared to give oh that yeah to him and or? i and i think there's now long gone a point where i will cook um, wanting to give pieces myself to people mm. like i kind of feel um, averse to it at the moment. Like, I just want to cook for myself and the times that I have cooked for other people when I haven't felt like it, the food does taste really crappy, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um. And so it was. it's a gift, I think, this book because I think it enabled him to sort of see me in a way that he hadn't before and, you know, say that he was proud of me and that did mean a lot. Mm.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. It was, yeah. I'm really sure that it would, especially given you've been so just disconnected and yeah. like somewhat estranged yeah and he had no capacity to to really probably think about no. more than himself as you were growing up going back to the point you saying like you were really desperate to be seen for a lot of younger people mm. and teenagers that would translate into something that is rebellious and um disruptive and colorful and kind of crazy um but it feels like that
1: didn't happened to you from a kind of visual i think or not in childhood but my god in like my 20s <laughs> i was a col- like a color bomb like you yeah. just have to look at my first book to be like who is this person yeah but i would be gorman and marimekko exclusively i would pattern everything match it with like giant rings like i had fringe and a bob i had you know i was totally that whole... I was hiding behind that, I think, in a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah. As much as like, that was to be seen, it was also like, I'm going to hide myself in But in
0: before that. that, do you think that you were a kind of... You know, when you talk about some of the outfits that you remember that mm. are poignant to you, like, was that about the perfectionism that you were trying to not only control in your own life but yeah. aspire to yeah like. and I
1: you know I remember two things my mum always said to me she said um never have laddered stockings and never have chip nail polish and so now I know I saw your <laughs> nail but I can't stand it on me like I yeah. literally picked off all of my shellac so terribly yeah, the other true. day um because <laughs> I just yeah I I just hated, I hated that. And so I hated having dirt under my nails. I hated getting my hands dirty. Yeah. Um, I had to like shower twice. Like I was always that kind of like, okay, this is how I need to, this is what I need to do and how I need to be. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so in the book, um, it's obviously called Heartbreak. Yeah. But it's about heartbreak on various levels. and yeah. Obviously we're kind of delved into your family situation. But I think one of the things that I... I loved about the book as a female that's worked through various friendships is that you talk about heartbreak as not having to just pertain to
1: romantic relationships
0: and that that friendships can often... I think some of the
1: biggest relationships in your life are the non-romantic ones Mm. and like female friendships in particular can be as big if not bigger than a romantic relationship and I certainly had that with with my best friend.
0: Yeah and you talk about that in the book and how that
1: kind of I guess, dissolved, is yeah. some word for it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, do you feel like as you were, like, in, go, getting into your early adult years, you um, placed a lot of identity on the female relationships around you? Like, did you put yeah. pressure on those friendships
1: to, like, were you trying to gain a sense of self from yeah. the women that you
0: surrounded yourself yeah, with? Yeah, and I,
1: I can look at, like, myself in high school and see myself as being really desperate. To be loved and to be liked, and you know that was really hard because high school was really hard, and and um, you know I got bullied and um, called googly eyes and like the girl with the crazy mum, and and that's so hard because I think you know as a kid trying to understand mental health, you just don't understand. And so if people say that, then you're like, oh. And now looking back, I'm like, fuck you guys for <laughs> having zero understanding, you know. Yeah. Um. And but that's really hard, and I and I think a lot of the time my female friendships um, that you know it was me just trying to do things to be liked which right. is a, which is a bad sort of dynamic to be in yeah. all you have to be is yourself you know but i just so what didn't kind of because obviously that plays out in different ways with men
0: in the book yeah. and obviously um, you know, even with food, uh, but how did that play out? I think it was just that
1: I had no taste of my own. Yeah, Like, right. I, you know, they watched The O.C., so I was like, yeah, I love The O.C. I didn't yeah. love The O.C. Yeah. I loved foreign movies on SBS, <laughs> you know. Even, um, like, my childhood crush was Richard Tongetti of, like, the Australian Chamber Orchestra. Like, I was such a nerd, yeah. but I never let myself be that. Yeah. And I just didn't have... You know, it was, I didn't have kind of an identity of my own because I was trying to do everything to fit in, I think. And would that come out like clothing as well? Well, and just, yeah, and just complete indecision. Like Mm -hmm. even what I would wear that day or um, what I would want to eat, like the anxiety would manifest in complete indecisiveness. And so, how would a decision get made? like by someone making it for me and would your friends get frustrated at that or well, no because they would just do whatever they wanted and i'd right. be like completely up for the up <laughs> did, for it did that ever turn out really badly um i mean yeah no like there were moments yeah like one would be where i was under age in year 12. yeah and um we were going to a friend's 18th birthday party and then there was a bus to go into byron to go to nightclubs afterwards and i got on the bus even though i knew I couldn't get into the club Mm. and and like that I was just left outside on my own while everyone else went inside like who why would you do that like just call your mum you don't really like to drink like just call your mum and get your mum to pick you up yeah but I just didn't do that like it was just so silly yeah so did you start moving
0: away from those behaviours when you went to university or? No.
1: No, Uh, no, I kind of, I met my husband and I guess they kind of manifested themselves in different ways and so that would be things like, what do you want to eat? What do you want to, you know, and I couldn't make that decision and that would be really, really frustrating for him.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And I guess the only thing that kind of stopped that was me figuring out who I was and what I wanted and I guess being, um, a word that I would use is selfish but it's not the right word because it's, you just actually articulating what you want for the first time, mm. um, but I suppose it was a hard for you that feels selfish. Yeah, for a normal not a normal yeah. person. no, though. it is for it is another so.
0: person. Yeah, that that would not. The, yeah. know, like for someone that doesn't have the people-pleasing orientation yeah. that yeah. you do, that, totally.
1: would just, that would feel normal. To yeah, totally. And I suppose when the shift happened, when I was like figuring out who I was and what I wanted, that was a really big thing for those substantial relationships like friendships and my marriage because it was like, oh, but you're so different mm-hmm. now. And it's like, oh, well, I'm actually just finding a voice that I've stifled for a really, really long time.
0: Yeah. So going to... You obviously met... Uh, really young yeah um, and you know where you're you're still kind of gathering all of that and obviously again this is all kind of well documented in the book um and you're founding a relationship on a people-pleasing kind of uh, foundation how did you you were attracted to him because he kind of opened a world up to you which obviously involved food and travel did you dress for him like, there were so no. many things that sounds like not, you did do for him. Yeah,
1: and I'm not, not going to use his name only just to protect him and his current relationship and all those sorts of things when yeah. I do really But I think, um, no, I was really, you know, I loved what I wore and he was always, like, very complimentary of what I wore and those sorts okay. of things. I think that was just around, like, my Gorman Marameco era of, yeah. like patterns and brightness and colour and
0: it sounds like that still was a part of a process of you finding yourself and making start starting to make your own decisions about well a lot of the clothes
1: yeah but my mum would also just send me packages of clothes and so she was also making decisions that were like here wear this and it would look good like I went through like a whole like retro era of wearing like big frocks and you know rockabilly kind of thing but no I never kind of I never dressed for him and I and um yeah ever I never kind of factored that in really yeah yeah what about like because obviously
0: he was there was the issue of money and the control of money in your relationship yeah did that um How did that transpire? Like, were you allowed to buy clothes? Yeah,
1: so that didn't happen until after we got married and we Mm. joined bank accounts. Right. So for the first, like, eight years of our relationship, I, you know, did what I wanted. But then when we joined bank accounts, I got paid $100 a week. Mm-hmm. And if I wanted um, to buy myself a dress or go out for dinner or any other sorts of things, it came from that money. Mm-hmm. So I stopped kind of buying things for quite a while because I just couldn't afford it.
0: So what would you do as style hacks? Like, how would you... how For someone that was obviously curious about clothes, yeah. had a strong sense of wanting to be visible and a sense of, like right representation like yeah what did you how did you well, manage well I had
1: that? I had hundreds of dresses you know what I made, yeah. and I think um and I think I could just rotate them and and they were all shift dresses like I didn't really ever wear anything that was showed cleavage or hugged my body like I was very um kind of disassociated in that way I suppose but mm. I don't know I think you know the biggest purchase around that time was probably my wedding dress which was like the most um me of all at that time I think now I would wear a really different dress but at that time I was so into like Frida Carlo and colours and patterns and so it was a chul gown that was long and had um, like organza kind of sleeves and so there were flowers coloured it. flowers <laughs> yeah stitched <laughs> so, all over it
0: um and that dress was inspired, obviously, by Frida Kahlo, but also a, a trip that you yeah. had to Mexico. Why was Mexico, why was that holiday such an inspiration for
1: you? Oh, I think because we were just so in love and, you know, we, we'd we call ourselves guapo and guapo, and so mm. our wedding theme was, like, Los Guapos. And, okay. um, and we had tacos that came out at midnight for everyone to, like, soak up the alcohol. And we had the mariachi band at one point, like... I had a big Frida headpiece um, that I wore after the ceremony. Um, and my ex-husband had, like, a giant, like, moustache. Like, he looked Mexican in some mm. ways, even though he absolutely wasn't. But, um, you know, he his family were from Colombia and Uruguay, but he just had that kind of look about him.
0: Mm. Yeah. So, obviously, weddings hold a lot of symbolism, mm. as does the dress. Um, you went...
1: For something that was quite non-traditional, yeah. what do you think that was about for you? I think it was just about kind of doing something differently and mm-hmm. I wanted to be different, you know. Um, but it's so funny that now I would wear something so plain and so, you know, white if mm-hmm. I did get married again. Um, but I think at the time it was just about about being loud, I guess. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah probably deflecting and distracting again
0: and it wasn't any referencing to your mum's kind of colorful
1: no and I remember I don't think my mum even particularly loved the dress at first until I saw until I wore it but um and I remembered kind of I was tentative with who I showed but people were like oh really you're gonna wear that yeah like oh that's your wedding dress but I loved it yeah I really and yeah I really really did love it yeah well it was
0: very beautiful yeah. but I understand it doesn't necessarily fit mm. every sentiment um I want to go back to something you said earlier in the interview because when I was reading your book what I found hard to reconcile was uh how you were in your relationship in your marriage versus mm. the trajectory you were on career wise mm. The way it reads, or the way I heard it, was you know you were this girl that kind of didn't have a very loud voice in your mm. relationship, and yet you were killing it in a world of, like world of publishing that yeah. is notoriously that's kind interesting. of high Yeah, is this returning <laughs> to that dichotomy
1: of you as a kid? Or that's, yeah, that's so interesting. I, yeah, I was obnoxious at work. Like, I think I, I definitely remember, like, a moment in a, in a meeting of I just would have been this young upstart. Like, I just didn't even have that perception of myself. But I, I went in and I was confident and I loved to read and I knew I was good at my job. And I grew really quickly. Like, I was a manager at, like, 23. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's such an interesting thing that I haven't thought about was the fact that I was so confident and so capable there and yet in my marriage I just was a shell. So do you think
0: work was then an outlet for you to bring more of yourself and like almost an amplified version of yourself? Yeah, totally,
1: totally. And like I would, you know, it would be an escape. I would travel for months at a time and and not have to be home. And, you know, I was um, liked and, you know, revered and, you know, had great relationships and and a good reputation. And I think it was like, yeah, I was living a double life.
0: Mm.
1: Did you ever use clothes as a tool in
0: your work power?
1: I never would wear, like, I would wear, like, the patterns and I think that became quite noticeable and um, recognisable. But um, I wouldn't sort of deviate my day-to-day style with my work style, if that makes sense. Like, I I would never be um, corporate in that way. And that's why it's so interesting now that I dress very differently and have, you know... um, a lot of neutral colours and a lot of, I wear a lot of suits now, like I'm, you know, changing in, in different ways. And I know that
0: change is quite, when you, when you look at the chronicles of how <laughs> you have dressed over yeah. time, it is quite significant. Yeah. But there's a few like parts in between there that I'll, I'll uh, w- before we get to that. Um, so getting into the integration of food and the significance of it in your life, Um. Obviously, the your divorce kind of triggered all of that um, food in in negative and positive mm. ways. Uh, so, like, I feel I feel hard to repeat it because I feel like I've heard it so much knowing your story. But obviously, you got um, you you guys broke up just before COVID, mm. and you ended up on your own, and you just developed a relationship with food where you didn't want to
1: eat quickly. yeah which I think a lot of that was that I felt like I'd failed my marriage and I'd hurt people and I'd disappointed people and I'd done a bad thing mm. and so the self-talk I had was really really toxic and it all revolved around the fact that I didn't feel like I was lovable and that I didn't feel like I was worthy of of being loved mm. and I guess that manifested itself with food and feeling like if I'm unlovable, and I, you know, then I am unnourishable, and I. Why would I possibly want to cook for myself? Why would I possibly deserve to look after myself? Mm. And I suppose that was the kind of crux of it all: was that I just didn't. I was so dark, I just didn't see a light, and um, and I found no joy in food.
0: Mm. But then you kind of got yourself out of that mm. kind of fairly destructive pattern. Yeah yeah through food right? yeah
1: because I remember talking to my mom and she said you've just got to take one bite out of this elephant mm. one piece at a time I like, just eat one thing and so that was boiled eggs yeah and um, and then I started cooking for my new neighbors and that kind of brought me back to myself and brought me back to life mm.
0: given that you kind of found your found a way or a path forward through food is it fair to even ask you whether there was a relationship back to your ex-husband because you you centered so much of like the discovery of food for you in your life and like the joy of food through him mm. do you think that you held on to food as a mechanism of preservation because it was like holding
1: on to a piece of him? Probably. Like, yeah, that's such a... Wow, I have goosebumps. (laughs) That's such a good question. I think, you know, when I moved to Sydney and when I met him, I was 19, I knew how to make, like, meat and three veg, pasta from a jar and tacos from a packet. Mm. Whereas he could open a fridge and he could pick, you know, five ingredients and make a masterpiece. Like, he... I loved that about him. He introduced me to... Um, proper Chinese food, like not Ho-Ho restaurant in Lismore, but like beautiful food and Indian food and um, Colombian food and like all of these things. So every mouthful felt like an adventure. And I suppose, you know, in a way kind of like childhood, he became the cook, like my pa. And so I, you know, had that nourishment and that nurturing from him. And then I think there was um, a very, I'm a very competitive person and I'm most competitive with myself. And I think perhaps a big part of that initial time for me of cooking and of becoming quite great at cooking was a competitiveness with him Mm. to kind of say, I can do this on my own without you. Ah. So I think it wasn't clinging to him in that way. It was more so me separating myself from him and finding confidence in the kitchen that I didn't have when I was with him because he was really, you know, the master at that and I was a very dodgy apprentice, you know, and there was a lot of criticism around things that I cooked and I think that was his way of trying to help me but because I was anxious or sensitive, it didn't come out in the way that he perhaps intended it to. So and I perhaps
0: didn't... also, sorry, just reading into it, given that you were the higher yeah. wage earner, yeah. it probably was him trying to assert his own yeah. power yeah. Or, or control with... In yeah,
1: household. totally. And I think, you know, it just was about me trying to get that back and to say, you can do this. And that's mm-hmm. what I'll say to anybody. You can cook. Yeah. You just need to follow recipes and you just need to be patient with yourself because I still stuff up all the time. Yeah. But, you know, I remember making him and his mum lasagna in lockdown and, and delivering it to them. and um, And he said to me that, he now believes that I made a better lasagna than him, and mm. that was like the highest praise of all coming from him because he taught me how to make it. You know. Yeah. yeah. So I think part of that was about actually me just getting a little bit of bite. It's back. so funny
0: because you like this journey
1: you've been yeah. on. You've
0: gotten those two pieces of validation that you probably needed the most, like from him and from your dad, yeah. right?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the the things, as I've said, Charlotte, I love about this book and I think why it would appeal to, you know, a a lot of women, especially younger women, is that you just, like, you literally crack the egg and you'd you'd lay it all bare and you say things and write things that... um, especially younger girls probably feel that they should edit out and that yeah. they they will sound like the crazy girl if they yeah. they talk about it um, and i think that that is the huge appeal of it is yeah. that you just freshly put it out there with with nothing Thank holding you. back and and it, yeah. that's why it's, I feel like we've been mates forever.
1: Yeah. Well, I feel like it's like performing open heart surgery on myself. Mm. But I guess the reason why I did it was because when I left my marriage, I remember just feeling so alone and and like no one had, had been through what I've been through and how am I possibly going to do this? And I think that's a lot because... People don't really talk about divorcing young Mm. and I read, I took a week off work and I read really quickly, just a perk of the job, but I read like 12 books in one week, but they were things like, um, you know, a passionate marriage or, you know, I'd go to my therapist's office and I'd feel like Matilda with her... um, trailer kind of thing and I'd be loaded with all of these like academic readings on marriage or I would read um, Eat Pray Love or I would read um, Esther Prudell or Brene Brown but nothing made me be like hang on this isn't this isn't what I'm wanting. I'm wanting someone to be like, it's okay. You're not crazy. Everything you're thinking and feeling has been felt before. Like the fact that you left the marriage, but you're thinking about going back. It's okay. Mm -hmm. The fact that you are terrified about dating again. it's okay. And I guess I wrote it because all I wanted was to read something like this Mm. and the hope that maybe someone somewhere might need it and they find it because by being vulnerable, it's fucking terrifying Mm. but it's so liberating as well because it's like by actually talking about it someone else is going oh I have thought and felt exactly the same thing but never talked about it
0: it's funny even the way that you're expressing yourself because the question I'd written down now that I'm remembering it is what did it feel like to exhale Mm. and even it just that's how it felt reading it your book it's just felt
1: like I'm just letting it out and it's just like this is who I am. I'm a total hot mess. I'm not perfect. I'm going to keep stuffing not, up. But you're not. But, it's, but I think it's just realising, like, we all have our own thing and our own shit and our own shtick, you know? Yeah. And I guess I can also just look at it now and go, that is a time um, capsule of exactly how I felt and thought in um, November of 2022. You yeah. know what I mean? If I was writing that now and going through the final stages. I have grown so much Mm. since then and gone through so much and learnt so much, like, it probably would be a different book. But I look at that and I go, oh, my God, Charlotte, I'm so proud of you because that's exactly what you thought and felt. And it's me. It's unashamedly me. Yeah, Yeah. it it is. (laughs) Um, So we obviously go through that food journey uh, and,
0: you know, a bit of the fun part of the book for me, reading it, was the... um, N- you dating again, <laughs> and the meals and the effort, um, yeah. and even I love that there was the fashion peppered through there, yeah. like the little romantic outfits uh, that you would kind of put together yeah. for your dates. Um, as you came to realise that food, you know, you you obviously giving a lot of energy and attention to food for other people mm. to to kind of fulfil that people-pleasing part of you and to to want to be loved. But as you said, now you're at a point where you want to cook for yourself, you want to nourish yourself. This big change in your wardrobe that you talk about, is this a symbol of that, that you now are no longer dressing for other people? Yeah, well, I'm not hiding behind dressing
1: anymore. And I guess, like, it's also just being really confident in my own skin mm-hmm. and knowing that I'm curvy or knowing, you know, that I... Um, you know, that bodies like life are imperfect too. I think mm-hmm. it's like appreciating the skin that I'm in and acknowledging the stretch marks and the bruises and the, you know, scars and all those sorts of things and appreciating them. Like, before, um, you know, before I left my marriage, I owned maybe one swim piece of swimwear that was, like, one full piece. Like, I just would not... I wouldn't really want to show my body in that way, and now I have like twenty-five swimmers and bikinis. Like in childhood, I never wore a bikini, and now I'm like, "fuck it," you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's just really acknowledging that, like, I've got one life and just enjoy it mm. and just be that and wear what I want to wear. So this <laughs> rebranding of yours, yeah, you know, like it's
0: it feels like you've you've you almost stripped it bare in terms of, like, the colours and the patterns have yeah. dissipated. Yeah. And it's a lot earthier. Yeah. And a lot more natural. Yeah. And is, do you feel that that's, like, now just who you love to be without totally. the bells and whistles? Yeah, without...
1: and, like, I just, you know, I I have to be by the ocean. I need to swim every day. That is really grounding for me. And I think, yeah, the earthiness of it is part of that. And, you know, like I was running late this morning. I think think a previous part of me would have been like, oh my gosh, we're filming and I need to be all made up and I need to have a full face. I need to have my head. And now I'm like, cool. I'll just quickly get it together. (laughs) I don't wear makeup. I wear like a lick of mascara sometimes. But like, I just really part of that's probably coming back to my mum too and just appreciating that really beautiful or getting like my mum has never really... Like, I think my wedding day, she wore makeup. Yeah. And I remember looking at her and being like, oh, like, wow. She looks but she like... is 54, has, like, hardly a wrinkle. Yeah. is just so beautiful. And I think there's so much appreciation I have, even though I squirmed and still squirm and I'm like, please let me pluck that mole hair. Like, <laughs> just, let me get, just let me get the longest one. Yeah. There's still a part of me that goes, fuck, that's cool, that she just doesn't give a crap. And yeah. she knows it's going to grow back, so why bother? You know, I love that. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, there's definitely a part of me that's, like, getting a few fuzzy chin hairs now that I'm like, oh, I've got to fix them in a way that my mum wouldn't care. But, I don't know, I just I just don't care. That doesn't mean I don't care what people think. We all do. Of course yeah. we do. But I suppose I used to care what I thought so much and I would be so hard on myself. Mm. And now I guess I'm just being a lot kinder to myself.
0: But, it, and, and it, it does, as I said, it just feels just more relaxed, yeah, more natural. Yeah. But there's still a uh, romanticism to the way you present yourself now.
1: Oh,
0: thanks. <laughs> is is that fair to say?
1: I get yeah. I think like now it's just really um I I, floating. Yeah, I really feminine. Yeah, totally, totally. I yeah. d- always will be will be feminine in that way. Um I really love that. I, you know, and I think that's playing with dolls growing up, you know, I adored that. But I think a big part of this kind of transition was kind of falling in love again as Mm -hmm. well and that was with someone who is very earthy and very um, easygoing and, you know, lives by the beach and and I think that kind of brought out a part of me that I had forgotten or really put at bay.
0: Yeah, so we're talking about
1: the ginger now. The ginger. Where
0: I, like, when I was reading, getting towards the end of the book, I'm like, that just ended so abruptly. (laughs) What happened? And I love that so much. Like,
1: some of the reviews in the book are like um, saying that, like, oh, it's just, I just felt the ending was so abrupt and she hadn't processed it. And I was like, no shit, Sherlock. Yeah. If yeah. anyone's been dumped out of fucking nowhere, it's abrupt. Yeah. Um, but I just felt like as a reader, um, I would feel so cheated that I'd gotten to the end of what is a. a sometimes hard Mm -hmm. pill to swallow of a book where where shitty things happened and then there was this great love story i'd feel really cheated that like the relationship didn't work out and it wasn't in the book and so it happened three weeks before the book was going to the printer and i made the decision to write an epilogue saying that the breakup had happened because i felt i owed it i felt i owed Mm -hmm. it to the reader um as hard as that was and it was an awful thing to have to write um, because I was writing about something I didn't want to be true and that I wish wasn't so. Mm-hmm. But it's non-fiction. Right. And, you know, yeah. sometimes swings and roundabouts. Life doesn't go how you want it to. So when I was thinking about the interview, this Sex and the City, I
0: assume you've watched I Sex and I love Sex and Sex in the City. City. So that episode where Carrie is um publishing her book <laughs> and she's with her two book publishers yeah and they're like grilling her yeah and they're like so what's the tone is it hopeful I'm like I like that just kept coming up in my mind they
1: the real this is so good because I remember my best friend is my book publisher yeah and I remember I rang her and I was I was distressed and she like came over and and she just looked at me and she was like it's really good for the book It's really good for the book. And I was like, I know, it's it's my life, it's my life. And I just was so sad. Um, But I kind of, I do in a a really fucked up, like sadistic way love that that happened because I would joke to him and say, you've got to break up with me to really bring out the pain and me to really be able to write what I need. And after the breakup is when the first chapter got written about my mum and I don't think I would have been able to write that without it. Um, it is, it kind of made the book what it is today because that happened. Yeah. And I also love that it's not a Hollywood ending because life isn't Hollywood no. endings. And I think it's also a lesson that like you can have really great big loves or have great encounters and great moments, but it's not always going to be what you think it will be. And, um, and that doesn't mean I don't want to have that joy, but I think it certainly made me appreciate them for when I have them. Mm. But at the end of the day, the news is that it is hopeful. Because <laughs> yes. as I found out while we're walking up the stairs to your apartment, yeah. you and the
0: ginger are back on. We are, you get the
1: exclusive, you get I the scoop. You. I haven't spoken to anyone about it. Yeah, we're back together, and I think um, I've, I love him. I love him so bloody much, mm-hmm. and um, I will do everything I can to make that work. And I think it is. Um, you know, part of the process of, of loving someone is that you have to let them go and do their own thing sometimes and come back. But ultimately, I think I've proven to myself time and time again, even if it doesn't work out, I will be okay. And mm-hmm. even in therapy the other day, she, my therapist said to that. she's like, you know, you've got this. And I was like, I know. <laughs> and I do know that. Um, and that, I suppose, is the, is the biggest revelation of all yeah. in, in a really painfully beautiful way. It's like, it's okay because yeah. I've got myself.
0: But it's, it's so funny because,
1: like, listening to you, going
0: back to that dichotomy of your work life, you've always had it. Yeah. You
1: know, it's just...
0: You've, you've always had that strength. It's just yeah. being channelled in one direction oh, and it's
1: just... A, that makes me teary. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess. And I remember, like, when he left, uh, you know, even his mum, my mum, like, so many people like, you're so strong. You're mm-hmm. so strong. And I remember thinking... If one more person <laughs> tells me I'm strong, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill them. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something that. But then afterwards, I was like, oh fuck. Like it's it's the ways in which people can see you that you don't see you. Right. And I and I remember my mum when the book went to the printer. My mum sent me some flowers and a card, and it said, "My little hurricane. Mm. I'm so proud of you." And I just was like, yeah. Like I have the strength of a hurricane sometimes. Like you do have that inside of you. Mm. It's just that I didn't realize it, and I just felt. Um, I felt so angry that people were seeing that and I couldn't see it.
0: Yeah. So moving forward, mm. given how much work you've done on yourself yeah. and, you know, the, all the kind of notoriety and celebration that you deserve is happening, Thank you. What, what do
1: you hope for now? In all honesty, I think I'm a bit burnt out. And I, mm. I think um, a big part of the book tour that had to happen was me reverting back to a part of me that was giving off a lot of me mm. um, in the hope that it would help a lot of people but the taxing um, kind of nature of that and the aftermath of that is like this just exhaustion and this kind of desire to go insular mm. I suppose it's a really bizarre thing and get really back into routine and I just know that for me at the moment what I really want to do is just swim every day is sleep and cook but just cook for me or just cook for one other person and just get back into just the swing of things, I suppose. Because um, I think a big kind of part of it throughout the book tour process and all of the media to be on the other side of the media was so... and is so interesting. But people would say, like, how are you feeling? And I was like, I feel really measured. And it's like there's this kind of... um, Not that I haven't gotten excited or overjoyed, but I didn't want to go too high or go too low. Mm. I just wanted to really be present. And I think that's kind of my big buzzword at the moment is to be present Mm. and to be in tune with my body and in tune with people around me and what I kind of need and what they need. Otherwise it becomes this high that you just drop off. Yeah, totally. And that doesn't mean, you know, that there haven't been loads. Like there's Mm. been, um, you know controversial media about like different outlets picking up on the financial stuff and taking that in a negative way or mm. getting trolled for the first time. Like mm. I just had never had that before and I suppose that's like the pro and con of writing something that is like so revealing is not everyone's gonna like me. And I kind of really believe that, like like I said before, like I don't care. I think there's this kind of um, radical acceptance that I've had in the last year, like when the breakup with the ginger happened all I kept saying to myself every single day was accept or suffer. And I feel like it's accepting that the circumstances aren't what I wanted or that this was happening and I didn't want it to, but accept it or I'll suffer. Accept that my mum is going to be in hospital again and that's really distressing and really sad, but accept it or suffer. And there's this weird kind of peace that comes with that. Mm. And I don't know how to explain it other than like, yeah, it's How do you lean into that, though? Like, it's, it's, it's one thing
0: to tell yourself that mm-hmm. and it's another thing to actually feel it.
1: I think it's like swimming has really made a difference. Yeah. It's like a mindfulness about it and a realisation that I can't, despite a lifetime of trying to do it, I can't control anything, actually, yeah. and just relinquishing that. Is kind of huge. Yeah, and realizing, yeah, like realizing, like if the ginger's gonna leave again, he's gonna leave. It's not because I have uh, anything that I could do yeah. or wear or be or say or cook. It's actually a decision that he's gonna make on his own. Mm. And that could really hurt and really suck. But it's nothing to do with me. And
0: it also could not end that
1: way, Yeah, precisely. And, like, that's a big thing too is, like, even in therapy, she's like, don't pretend like he's left when he's right there in front of you, like, screaming at you, you know? Like, hi, I love you, I'm here. (laughs) You know, and that's hard. But it's, like, for me, I think realising what are the things that I need for myself now, what are the non-negotiable components, Mm. and that is swimming every day, twice a day. It is exercising. I never thought I would be that person that would... Um, ever get into exercise. But you're still not running the city of Absolutely not, no, 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 I love that you feel that as a runner, but it's, no, they're just like Kayla Itzines, I don't know if you've ever done her workouts but oh, yeah. I, I, I know, I know who
0: you are. I worked she.
1: on, um, on a book with her yeah. and I remember like we did a workout in LA together yeah. um, when we were on tour and I couldn't walk, I forgot how to walk <laughs> normally, like I just never thought I would be that person. But now I'm into it because it's so good for my brain and mm. to just clear out the weeds and, and get centred and get focused. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and read it's like I forgot that I love to read as much <laughs> as I forgot that I love to swim. Yeah. But,
0: yeah. So as you lean into the more natural and, and just, you know, the that freedom of letting go of control. Yeah. I finished my interviews off in all the same way, Charlotte, but, like, how do you think that will translate to you in, I don't know, 30, 40 years' time? Like, how do you
1: think you'll dress as an older oh, lady? Oh, yeah, such a good question. I can't wait to meet my future self. And I, I really like would not ever go back in time for a, a million dollars. I would love to fast forward and to like meet that future self. But I hope it's someone who's just really confident and comfortable in the skin that they're in. Like, as I was saying with swimwear before, I'd also never wear pants. I have knock knees. And so they look really dicky and really funny. But I just would think that pants would look really weird on me. And now I wear pants all of the time. Like it's all these things I just never thought I would do, so I'm just never going to say never. Like, yeah. who knows what I'm going to be wearing? But I kind of feel so excited by that. Mm-hmm. As I become more confident and more um, loving and understanding of myself, I feel like it's only going to evolve in a really good way. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you, Charlotte. Thank for you. so much of yourself to oh not just God. me today. And your but eyes everyone. are so
1: mesmerizing. As a- are yours. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Thank <laughs> you so much. Oh, thank you. so good. <laughs>
0: Charlotte's story begins with disorder. And while this allowed her creativity and a cared for childhood, it also taught her to pursue perfectionism as a means of control. Forever the people pleaser, Charlotte has spent a lot of her life looking to be loved. But as she's learnt heartache and heartbreak, she's also found herself to have the strength of a hurricane. It's her cogent courage combined with her capacity for care that makes Charlotte a pure force. And while she no longer leans into color bombs and heavy handed prints as a means to be seen, her sense of self-love has matured her style to a natural carefree state full of heart and soul and finding the perfect place in her story.